Hey, good morning, everybody. All right. I said last week we were going to, um, you know, maybe put a little Red Bull in the communion. Don't know if any of you guys picked up on that little, you know, little hint. Maybe if it tasted a little wangy today. Uh, it's not because it's old, I don't think. No, uh, we are glad to have you here. Hope everybody's awake. Hope everybody is feeling good this morning. Hope it's been a good weekend. Maybe you were here because uh, your family is on some type of winter break. I know that's going around uh, at a lot of different school systems. And so we have families that have used this opportunity to sneak off for the weekend. Maybe that's what you did. Thanks for coming and for being here and for, for sharing with us this morning. We greatly, we greatly appreciate it. So good to have you here and a part of our EB Church, EB Church family. I want you to know that we all share a common experience. We share a common experience together, no matter, no matter who you are, no matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if you're here from Chattanooga or if you come in from Nashville or, or some other location, no matter what brought you here today, each of us share a common bond. And in fact, I bet the majority of us shared in this common experience this morning. Right after you awoke, right there in your house, maybe you missed it. So let me recreate the scene for you. The alarm on your phone rings, and you realize that you had the ringer turned up way too loud. Your wife pokes you, or your husband nudges you. Your mom or dad drops in via Alexa. The dog or cat pounces, and you begin to to wake up. You've already hit the snooze three times. If you hit it again, you're going to be late to church. Is there anything more embarrassing than walking in late to church? Apparently so, because a lot of you do it, and you're really not. I mean, you have no shame. I mean, you just... Um, uh, anyway, I, I digress. Sorry. All right, so back, back, to, back, back to the scene, right? Let, let's paint this again. The hour has come, so you grunt and you groan and you throw back the covers. You kick out a warm foot out into the cold world. You lean up and sit on the edge of the bed and you, you stare at the back of your eyelids. You tell them to open, but they are being very disobedient. You pry them apart with your palms. You peek into the room. You stand up and, and at that moment, everything that is going to hurt during the rest of the day begins to check in. Back pain? Yep. Stiff neck, oh, check. High school football knee injury, even though you didn't play high school football, still hurting. Flaky scalp, still itching. Allergies, achoo, yep, you got those. Everybody's awake now, thanks to you. And then with the grace of a pregnant elephant, you step towards the bathroom. You wish for some way that you could turn on the light slowly, but there isn't, so you you slap on that spotlight. You blink your eyes to adjust. You step to the bathroom sink and you look into the mirror. <laughs> and there you are in all of your morning glory. Hair matted or falling out. Pajamas or nightgown wrinkled. You've got chunks of sleep stuck in the corners of your eyes. Your belly is bulging. You've got dried lips. You have pudgy eyes. Your breath could stain a wall and your face could scare the dog. And guess what? You could share a similar picture. Now you won't. <laughs> you won't do it. But you could. You could. And, and so could the person that's in front of you and the person that's beside you. 
That is unless you are some of our teens and then half of you just rolled out of bed and just skipped the mirror and came straight here. And trust me, we know which half, all right? We know. We know. The real you stares back at you from the mirror. There's no makeup. There's no pressed shirts there. There's no, there's no jewelry there. There's no power tie, no matching shoes. It's just you and your unkept honesty. It's just you. And I tried to get a better shot, but it just didn't work. I was like, surely if, if I turn a little bit more, you know, straight on. And you know what? You used to not mind the mirror that much. The image that stared back at you really didn't look, I mean, it really didn't look that bad. But the older that you have gotten, the more things have changed, and the more you are troubled by, by what you see. And more than once, you've probably asked yourself, who is that staring back at me in the mirror? So what do we do? Well, we quickly turn away, and we shower, we, we shave, we get dressed, we we comb our hair, we, we cover our moles, and we lighten our wrinkles. A, a toothbrush, some coffee, a splash of cologne, and voila! Man, the change that takes place. <laughs> I, I know this is what you're used to seeing when you look at me, and that other picture earlier was a shock. I know. Uh, but but that, those first couple, you know, that's really who I am. Th this photo here, that's just, you know... That's just because I'm eye candy for Tanya. I mean, that's just what that is. <laughs> we say that's more like it, right? And then we rush out the door and thankful that no one at church has to see the real me. Guys, I told you we had something in common. We are all pretenders. We're pretenders. And we pretend that we are not tattered and worn. And by the way, I'm not talking about our physical appearance. There are two truths about the human condition that matter deeply. The first is that we are all ragged. Each and every one of us, no, no matter your age and no matter how you think you look in the mirror right now, each one of us, we are flawed, we are wounded, we are broken, and we are bent. And partly, partly our raggedness is the result of what has happened to us. It's the actions of others. It's the words that they, they shared, the, the hurt that they poured into our cup. For some of us, it's just our psychological makeup. This is, this is how we came into the world. These are the things that we, this is the way, the things we deal with, the, the way our mind works. It's just how things roll. But it's not the whole story. You see, we have also contributed to our raggedness. Paul once wrote to a colleague named Titus, and he reminded him of the human condition, saying that at one time, he says, at one time we were foolish, and we were disobedient, we were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, and he says that, that we were hated, and, and we hated one another. He says, we chose to deceive when the truth just begged to be spoken. He says we go around grumbling instead of praising. He says that we deliberately betray when we are bound by oaths of loyalty. We seek happiness and prosperity in life where there is only sadness and ruin and death. The prophet Isaiah, he, he got a little bit personal thousands of years ago when he said we are all infected and impure with sin. 
And when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away with the wind. We are all ragged. And don't sit there and say, hey, not me. Yes, you and me. We're all ragged. But here's the second truth of the human condition. We are all loved by God. We're all loved by God. And he knows all about our raggedness, and yet he cares for us anyway. Just like today, as you were staring there in the mirror, and then your spouse walks in and, and maybe even said, I love you, even though you look the way that you did. They know our raggedness, and yet they still care for us. We were not created ragged. We, you know, we were once pristine. We were once, once in mint collector's edition. The Genesis book says that we were made in God's image and, his and we are his creation and, and that we belong exclusively to him. And though our sinful condition has changed our appearance, it has not changed his concern for us. You see, God is fully aware of our secret. He knows exactly what we look like. He knows that we are ragged. And while we may have been unkind and unfeeling and unholy, and unforgiving, and unworthy, and uncaring, and unlovely. We have never been unloved. Never once. Listen again to, to Paul. A reminder that he gave to Titus. It's in chapter 3, it's verse 4 of the letter that bears his colleague's name. It's in your New Testament. It says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He said he washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. And because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Paul is telling Titus, look, this is who we are. This is our condition. We are ragged. We used to live foolish, disobedient, and enslaved lives, living by our own selfish desires. We, we hated and we were hated. We were jealous and we were angry, but not anymore. He says that's who you used to be before you experienced the love of God. Before God's love was poured out on you, even in the midst of your ragged condition, he says, we've been saved from ourselves by God's grace. So shout it from the rooftops. We may be ragged, but we are loved by God. We're loved by God. Friends, the Bible is a gallery that's filled with the portraits of ragged men and women who were loved by God in the midst of their raggedness. You begin to scroll through and walk around the pages of Scripture, and you meet Jacob, who was a deceiver. You meet Rahab, who was a prostitute. Zacchaeus was a cheat, and Saul was a persecutor. And like them, many of you know what it's like to carry a stigma. You understand what it is like that every time that your name is mentioned, your calamity follows. It's just like a, a pesky sibling your past is just following you wherever it is that you go and you wonder if ever there's going to come a time when anyone will see you for, for who you are and not for what you did or where you went or what you said 
or who you said it to or who you went with or who you did it with. You know, that's all some people in the, the Bible gallery are remembered for. They remember what they did. Their names aren't even listed in Scripture. There are rooms there within your Bible containing portraits of the nameless. They are known not by name, but by the extent of their ragged condition. You've heard of the woman caught in adultery. The man possessed by demons. And it's in this room, I want us to pause just for a few minutes here, and I want us to study the portrait of a woman whom Jesus saw through the eyes of love. Her story is displayed on the canvas of Luke chapter 7. And so if you'd like to go ahead and open your Bibles there, I would encourage you to take out your phone, take out, take out your hard copy, whatever you got, and find Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And it's chapter 7 there in your New Testament. And I want us to focus here this morning because over the past few weeks, we've been talking about living intentionally for God. Living intentionally, not just going through the motions and claiming some arbitrary faith, but intentionally living out the faith that we profess. And what we have learned is that an intentional faith expresses itself through love, and we've also learned that that love is demonstrated by acceptance within the family of God. And we were reminded last week that the love of Christ is to be experienced by and among the people of Christ. And so as Travis shared earlier, we have been asking the questions, who and how? Who is it that that God is bringing to walk along beside us in our journey? Who is it that, that I am going to be able to welcome into my life today? Is it someone that I just met as I was walking up the steps this morning, going through the parking lot? It, is it someone that I'm going to meet later on at the restaurant that my family will choose to attend? Who is it that I will welcome into my life, and then how will I share God's love with them? How, how will I show them acceptance? See, these questions are what makes the community of Jesus followers so attractive. It's why we've been focusing in, saying, look, if you really want to demonstrate your faith, then demonstrate it in the way that you love, because guess what? When people are loved, it makes a difference, and it has an impact. You see, there's a reason why the people who truly follow in the spirit of Jesus are so attractive to others. We have the one thing the world can't get anywhere else. And I said last week that, that friends, look, if, if people are finding more love down at the gym or, or, or down at the bar, if they're finding more love in some type of a fraternal order here in town than they're able to find among the people of God, then friends, that's on us. And it's sin. It is. Because we are the people of the second chance. We are the people who see others for more than what they can do for us. We are the people who encourage the broken. We are the people who forgive the guilty. We are the people who accept the rejected. At least that's who we should be. That's who we should be is the people of God. And I appreciate your positive responses to this study, but, but I know that for some, I know that for some of us, in, in the back of our minds, there is this nagging concern. I mean, sure, we know that we should love others, but honestly, honestly, if, 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 we could talk, if we could talk over a glass of sweet tea or if we could have a private moment off to the side today, honestly, some feel uncomfortable with all this love talk. 
We're just uncomfortable by it. Because we're afraid that if we're not careful, we may be guilty of loving too much. Or loving and accepting the wrong people or persons. We struggle with living out the limitless love of Christ. We do. So what should we do? What should we do about this? How, how do we navigate this, this nagging that, that, that is in our, our, our soul? How, how do we get past the, the voice that we don't really know where it comes from, but that whispers and says, oh, you've got to be careful. You can't, love, you can't love too much. Luke chapter 7. You can start reading around verse 36. And there Jesus was eating one day at the home of a Jewish religious teacher named Simon. And Simon felt, all things considered, that he loved and that he was loved. And then a woman enters into the house. Luke, as clear and as to the point as he could be, refers to her as a sinner. It's probably a polite way of saying that she was a prostitute there in that area. She was an uninvited guest. She had lost her reputation. She had lost a good deal of her virtue. Now, understand, she hadn't always looked like this. She had once been someone's little girl, and she had all these different dreams and all these different aspirations. But now it had been years since she had ever spent time with or company with anyone who was respectable. Imagine the courage that it took for her to brave the looks and the whispers in that room as she would come in, knowing that so many people there knew who she was. She brought with her a perfume in which, by which to, to anoint Jesus. Jesus was reclining at a table sharing this meal, and the anointing, if it was to take place, was generally done by pouring the perfume on a person's head. But she just stood there at his feet looking at Jesus, and then the tears came. And, and I don't know why. Maybe she was thinking about how she had earned the money to to buy the perfume. Maybe she was thinking about the girl that she used to be and the, the woman that she had become. Or, or maybe, just maybe, she was thinking of the woman that, that she would be. At any rate, instead of his head, she began to anoint Jesus' feet with a mixture of the perfume and the tears. And then she did something that was totally unexpected. She let down her hair. Now, this might not mean a lot to, to you. Many of you ladies have some, some beautiful, long hair. But in this particular culture, it was never done. It was a violation of Jewish custom. Respectable Jewish women always kept their hair bound in public. Now, she had let her hair down in private before, and each time it was just a reminder of her raggedness. But this time, she lets her hair down to pay homage, touching God with the very symbol of her ragged condition. And, and Simon, Simon is watching all of this, and he is the one who has invited people into his home. He is the one that is having this meal for this, for this rabbi, this teacher, and now everything has been interrupted by this woman. And so he waits for Jesus to point out who this woman is because after all, if Jesus were actually a prophet, if he were actually the person that so many people are whispering and claiming him to be, then he would know the type of woman who was at his feet. Simon undoubtedly knows a lot about this woman, but he knows very little about Jesus. And look, before we become too harsh with Simon, just think for a minute how you would react. 
how you would have reacted if, if into your, your nice meal where people have been, been invited into your home and you're trying to network and, and, and you have people from the office and, and you have people that, that go in your social circle and, and you have looked over that invitation list perfectly to make sure the right ones got invited and, and everybody's going to be seated at the right place and all of a sudden you get the knock on the door and, and there she stands. It's your sister. It's your sister who has been in and out of rehab. It's your, it's your sister who has fleeced money from your parents. It's your, it's your sister who continually just keeps showing back up at all the wrong times, the one who keeps asking you for help, the one who keeps letting you down, and she says, can I come in? I need some place to stay. I need a meal. How do you react? Friends, this woman had defied God with her choices and with her life. I don't want you to, to gloss over her raggedness. I'm not saying that you, 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 you gloss over where it is that this woman has been and, and where she has come from. But what I want you to understand is that Jesus sees something more. He sees something more. Forty times in the Gospels, we read the phrase, Jesus saw. Jesus saw. And that statement is often a launching point for something that is going to take place and transform an individual's life. And so in this particular context, we read that he looks at Simon and he asks Simon, he says, do you see this woman? Jesus is like, I've seen her. Everybody here in the room has seen her, but Simon, do you really see her? You think you've seen her. But have you really? And more importantly, Simon, have you seen yourself? Jesus says, you did not provide water for my feet. That was a common courtesy given to guests at this time. He goes on, says, but she's bathed my feet with her tears. He says, Simon, you didn't give me a kiss of greeting when I came in. Again, a common courtesy that should be extended. No, but, but this woman, she has not stopped kissing me from the time that she arrived. You did not anoint me, but she has. And she is demonstrating her great love for me. Because she sees her raggedness and her redemption. And Jesus says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. Here in this story, Jesus offers a statement of fact. He offers a statement of fact. He is saying that this woman is enjoying the result of a previous occurrence. And he says, it is a fact. Her sins are forgiven. Forgiveness, literally a sending away, has happened. And we don't know when. Had she met Jesus earlier in the day? Had she heard him at some point in time up on a hillside talking to a large group? Or, or maybe did she see him on a side street as he stepped in to have a conversation with just a couple? We don't know. Has she witnessed his compassion to others whom the religious society considered unredeemable? We're not told what spurred her to turn to God. All we know is she turned. She turned to God. And Jesus says that her many sins, and I know we would like for Jesus just to be a little bit more delicate here, right? 
I mean, we, we think of Jesus and we think of love and compassion and Jesus with the woman right there says her sins, her many sins. In fact, he uses a word that says her numerous sins. Her sins is so hard to count. I don't, I don't know if anybody could ever figure out how many sins this woman has committed. That's what Jesus is saying. Her many sins. He doesn't overlook her raggedness. But he says that they have been dismissed. They've been sent away. And now she is enjoying a continual state of forgiveness. And so he explains that her current actions and disregard for social mores, it's an outpouring, he says, of her much love. Now, now that's a strange phrase, isn't it? We, we don't really speak that way. It's really strange. But it's due to the fact that Jesus is actually... He's having a little play on words. You see, the word that he used earlier to describe the woman's many sins, those numerous sins, the ones that go ahead and get out your calculator and keep trying to add it up and you're not going to be able to, he now uses that same word to describe this woman's great love. He's, he said, look, she's got so many sins. And now he turns around and says, she has so much love. How much? I don't know. Try to figure it out. Try to count it up. Try to somehow come up with how much love has been pouring out of her. She's loving as much as she sinned. It's what Jesus is saying. She loved as much as she sinned. I love that. And because she has been forgiven a ton of sins, she is pouring out a ton of love. But Jesus looking to Simon, says, a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Literally puny love. Girly man love. For all of you Gen Xers. All of a sudden, all the, um, all those who are, you know, under 50 are going, girly man, love, what? Uh, look it up. It's Hans and Franz. You'll find it. It's good. Guys, Simon could not give much love because he held to this idea that he did not need very much forgiveness. He didn't need a lot of forgiveness. He, he was a leader within the Jewish community. And I just wonder if we become so sure of our own self-righteousness that we are unable to see our many, many sins that, praise God, have been and are being forgiven. But I wonder if we have perhaps been among the people of God and in the community of God and been walking with God for so long that we have forgotten just how indebted we are to Jesus. And have we forgotten all of the many, numerous, overflowing sins? It seems that just like Simon, we are more proficient at seeing another's shortcomings than our own. We have a lot easier time pointing out how other people sin. And because of that, all we share with others, who we know are sinners, is puny love. Puny love. Expressing the limitless love of Christ. And I want you to understand this. Expressing the limitless love of Christ is not dependent 
on us knowing whether or not another person has been accepted by God. Do you hear me? Expressing the limitless love of Christ is not depending on us knowing the condition of another person when it comes to their relationship with God. Simon was unwilling to be gracious to Jesus and to this woman who had interrupted the meal because he was unsure of Jesus' standing as a sound teacher and he was perfectly sure of the woman's reputation as a sinner. And because of this, he failed to welcome either at his table. But friends, expressing the limitless love of Christ is not dependent on us knowing whether or not another person is accepted by God. It is knowing that we have been accepted by God and that our many, many sins have been forgiven. That is what motivates our love. Because our sins have been dismissed and sent away. We love and accept others in the midst of their sinful choices because we have been loved and accepted by God in the midst of our sinful choices. We have been forgiven much. Therefore, we love much. Or at least we should. Jesus says our love quotient is directly related actually to our sin quotient. And here's the honest truth. We all have the same capacity to sin. We all have the same sin capacity. There's a truth. It's there in your scripture. It's up on the screen. You've heard it before. Everyone has sinned, and we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Do you, do you understand that? Do you, do you understand that, yes, that, that, is, that applies to you? Your sins and mine are just as shocking as this woman's. You might not have lived her life of sin, but you've lived your life of sin. Your sins and, and mine, they are just as unrighteous as the person whose life choices you vehemently disagree with. You haven't lived their life. You don't dabble in their sinfulness, but you've lived your life. And you have swim or you do swim in, in your sin pool. And friends, we will only love that person or that group to the degree that we have seen our own sinfulness and experienced God's forgiveness. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. So how do I love God and others more? How, how, how do we do that together as a family of God? And how do we get past our prejudices and, and, and accept others? How do we welcome others into our circle? And, and how do we see each other through God's eyes? I wish that, I wish that there was a, a book or, or a movie that you could watch. I would say just go get the, the Chosen app and, you know, bring some people over the house and, and watch that together. By the way, it's a great thing to do. But how do I really love God and others more? It's not a class that you take, even though I'd love for you to stay around for our, our small group studies that are going to be starting here in just a little while. How do I love God and others more? Is there just a prayer that I can pray? Is there a secret sauce? Is there, is there just something? Is there something that, that we could just have? And here's the thing. I actually believe the answer is quite simple. 
I think it's quite simple. If we want to become better at loving God and others, then we do so by looking in the mirror and seeing ourselves as God sees us. No filters, just unkept honesty, just you. You see, each and every morning you have the chance to walk and stumble to a mirror somewhere in your house. And you have that opportunity to, 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 to see yourself. Not, not as you want other people to see you when you pretend, but you have an opportunity to see yourself, man, this is what I look like now. And allow that physical appearance to remind you of your spiritual condition. Allow that time in front of the mirror to remind you of your own raggedness. Allow the other person that's looking at you from the other side of the glass to remind you of your daily need for God. Because the more you and I are aware of our own sin, the more loving we will be. So stop trying to pretend. Stop trying to, stop trying to say that, man, you've got it all together. Stop trying to avoid that that, that habit. Stop, stop trying to avoid the, that priority that is shifted. Stop trying to avoid those, those attitudes that, that you know are there and you know are not what God would want you to have. You know when the relationship with the Lord is not what it should be. But stop pretending that it is. Instead, see yourself there in front of the mirror. And before you brush your teeth and, and before you start putting on all the makeup, before you change your, your appearance, why don't you just stop right there in front of the mirror? And why don't you bow your head and thank God for his grace? And say, God, who who will you bring into my life today? And how can I share your love with them? This morning I, I put on clothes to hide the physical imperfections that I'd rather not display. When you see me fully clothed, you can't see my scars, you can't see my bumps, you can't really see my belly. Those are all hidden. But about 35 years ago, actually a little over, I put on Christ in order to cover up my spiritual imperfections. And not just me. Many of you did as well. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You see, we have this in common as well. Friends, love does not mean looking past a person's sins. That's not what Jesus did. It means to look before them, before the sin. Seeing individuals not as they, they were, but as they were intended to be. Before the sin and before the affair, before the, the shouts of anger and broken promises, before the depression and before the addiction, before the lies, before all the confusion and the loneliness, before all the raggedness. So let's see ourselves and others through the eyes of Jesus. And let's be the people of the second chance. 
And let's be the people who see others for more than what they can do for us. And let's be the people who encourage the broken. And let's be the people who forgive the guilty. And let's be the people who accept the rejected. We are all ragged. We are all loved. And we all have been or can be forgiven by God. And because of that, church, we can, we should, and we must love much. Father, thank you so much for the love that you've poured out on us. Help us to not grow content with that love. Help us to be reminded of your grace every time that we look at ourselves in the mirror, looking beyond the, the physical imperfections that we see, but being reminded of, of all the spiritual imperfection that is there. And may that view, may what we see send us to our knees. May, may it cause us to, to, to sing out in praise. May it, may it cause us to to well up inside this sense of emotion and this sense of gratitude that praises you for the forgiveness that we have been given. And then, Father, may we leave, may we leave our house, may we leave whatever mirror that we're standing in front of. Oh, yeah, we still might, we still might pretend, Father, that, that um, we're as young as we used to be and, and, and that we have no imperfections physically. But Father, may, may the idea of our sinfulness always be before us so that your forgiveness can always be first in our mind. And may we go out in search of those who we can welcome into our lives. And Father, may you show us how we can pour out your love for them. Each and every one of us are ragged. Each and every one of us are loved. And Father, thank you for the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now may we leave this place and love much. In the name of Jesus we pray, and as a church we say, amen. Let's stand and give God's praise together. And if you need to respond this morning to receive the love of Jesus, we encourage you to do so as we sing about God's amazing grace.